Welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell. I'm a talent management thought partner and results coach, wife, and mom. Talent management leaders are hungry to learn from their peers and want to hear about real-life talent initiatives. This podcast is for and by talent management leaders. My guests and I dig into successes, challenges, and lessons learned from a very practical, not theoretical point of view. You'll discover important insights about how to elevate your confidence and amplify your influence in a role known for being caught in the organizational middle. I'm thrilled to have you listening. So let's get going and hear the truth about talent management today. Are you responsible for talent acquisition? Do you collaborate with search and staffing firms? Have you noticed some interesting new trends showing up in terms of candidate behavior and the broader labor market? Then this episode is for you. My guest is Sandra Sears. Sandra began in the staffing industry in 1993 after graduating from McGill University. Inspired by some great bosses, she started StaffWorks in September 2000 at the corner of Bay and Bloor in Toronto. With over 20 years in the industry, Sandra has assembled a team of driven, client-focused pros who are serious about providing their clients with top-tier candidates quickly and without cutting corners. Outside of work, you just might run into Sandra on the squash court. I loved this conversation with Sandra. She's an inspiration to me in terms of her entrepreneurial savvy and success, and she also pulls the curtain back to reveal some interesting labor market insights. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell, and today I'm joined by my guest, Sandra Sears. Sandra is the owner and president of StaffWorks, a recruiting firm in Toronto. Sandra, welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. So I'd love to kick off by having you share with the audience a little bit about who you are and how you came to be the owner of StaffWorks. Well, I'm a mom of three, but way back before that, I always knew that as a teenager that I would have my own business. I just had no idea what it would be in. And then I sort of fell into the staffing business. It takes a few years to, to sort of learn it. And then the timing presented itself. So after having a couple of great bosses, I ended up resigning and going out on my own a few months later on September 1st, 2000. Oh, wow. So that date is clearly burned into your mind. All right. So yeah, because it's interesting, because you'd mentioned to me when we were speaking earlier, too, that you'd actually started a a bit of a gig, an entrepreneurial gig back in university with a friend, where you had a lot of fun. What what was that about? Are you willing to share? Oh, goodness. Yes. We sealed driveways. The company was called Driveway Magic. And my best (laughs) friend and I, who is still my best friend, we, that's what we did. We were filthy most of the time. And we sealed driveways and yeah. Magically. Yeah, the equipment magically. We had the equipment and a little bit of training and off we went. Fantastic. Okay, so that kind of helped you cut your entrepreneurial chops a little bit and then (laughs) led on to a few few rounds of employment and, and you fell into the staffing business. What do you love about it? What do you love about recruitment? Oh, well, that really the biggest thing is that I I have learned, I mean, I was thrilled with my education at Miguel. It was great. I took economics, but I have learned everything I know from my candidates and my customers. So in staffing, you have the opportunity to learn all your customers' businesses. And that really fascinates me. And 
being able to provide them with solutions and solve some of their problems is great. It's very satisfying. Also, you know, I had a great boss in particular, my first boss. I spent four and a half years with him and I just thought, you know what, if I can do for some of my team what he did for me, then that would make me a happy one. So mm. he let me fail and fall on my face many times. And I'm really grateful that he did that. We're still friends today. Well, you know, it's so interesting because I, I, I talk a lot about, you know, when I'm doing facilitation and so on, this idea of, you know, there is no failure, there's only learning because we, that's the most powerful form of learning is when you fall on your face. It's very, very painful and it's powerful because it stays with you. And it's, and it is a personal experience. So that's, so it's intriguing that you say that. So you, so you love learning about your customers' businesses. And of course you get to really know a lot of great people through meeting different candidates and so on. I enjoy that too in, in my line of work. So tell us a little bit about where StaffWorks focuses, like where do you shine as a firm? Oh, what we've gotten really good at over the years is we do a lot of temporary staffing. So we we do permanent as well. We'll, you know, we sort of adapt to the market. And actually, 2022 has been a very big market for permanent staffing. We, we've done double our permanent placement revenues this month from or this year from last year, which I guess would be expected because of COVID, but also it's it's really, it's one of our best years ever in term. We do temp and contract and permanent placements in lots of it administrative and corporate services roles from digital marketing to administration, clerical, human resources, and then a ton of accounting and finance as well. That's a big part of what we do. So clerical staff right up to senior finance staff. So those are okay. our two where we spend most of our time, lots of temp and lots of perm. Okay. So you're not necessarily playing with the, it's not the C-suite and the, the VP That's level. Right. 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 Okay. So yeah, entry to level to, to sort of high mid. And so we deal with lots of different kinds of businesses from financial services, a bit of insurance. We do like lots of real estate as well, but we also do, we've developed over the years since 2008 or so, a real niche in nonprofit which has been ah. well and very fulfilling. But you know, when, when 2008 hit and things were really challenging in 2009 and even into 2010, yeah. the nonprofits, there were a couple of companies in business that, that were still around for us, but also nonprofit really helped us keep the lights on. And I'm, you know, I sort of feel a connection there. And yeah, it's lovely to be able to help them. So that's a big part of what we do. That's really into me. I, it's and surprising. I wouldn't have expected that. I mean, I remember. Trust me, I, I have a particular date, January fourth, two thousand nine, burned into my memory from when we had to do some mass layoffs at the company where I was, and I had to orchestrate that. Oh yeah, and it was fun. It was really really tough. I was in wealth management, financial services, so it got hit early and hard. So yeah. so nonprofit. So because we had a we had a hiring freeze that went on for years well not years yeah probably actually probably a year and a half at least and travel freeze and and so on so what is it about nonprofits that kept them I don't hiring? know no, I never could really answer that but maybe you know maybe they were dealing you know maybe their budgets are lag a year I don't know but also in, in that group of nonprofit there's charities but there's also regulatory we, we deal with a lot of regulatory organizations and they continued you know their business they did their best to continue as usual so them as well and and you know also other associations but yeah for some reason the nonprofits the charitable still managed to keep going i don't yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really intriguing. Okay. Well, so, you know, you've been leading staff works for now. I mean, we're 22 years in, it's very impressive. So what, what would you say is your biggest achievement or something you're really proud of over that time as you've evolved? Hmm. You know, I would never, so this is a personal one, but I would never have said if you'd asked me three years ago, four years ago, if we'd ever work at home, I would have said, absolutely not, hands down, forget it, but it's never going to happen. And then COVID hit and I, I learned that actually it's a really great idea. So I was, a, I was a slow learner, but that is something I'm really happy with. And, and the entire team just got right on board. Of course, they're delighted. I have people all over Ontario. So that's great. And really over the years, you know, we've, we've acquired, we have some contracts or not even contracts. Well, we have signed some good contracts that mean a lot to me, but we have some of the same customers from 2000. We have them today. And that, that really means a lot to me. Mm. You know, we work hard on those relationships. I mean, that's the, that's the song that I'm singing constantly. The tune I sing to my team is about the relationships. You know, I like to think that I, I sort of set the way I, I, I model that. And indeed, I think they do the same. And as a result, we keep customers for a really long time. Yeah, that, that speaks volumes. And when you started out, did you, how long did it take before you hired help <laughs> before you got a team? So, I don't know. Like I, I just, I think it's part of my sort of personality profile, but it never occurred to me that it wouldn't work. <laughs> I signed a lease and I hired somebody. So I was in an office with computers. I loaned myself some money and had every intention of paying it back. And I, I think it was paid back. I paid myself back inside of a year. And, you know, I guess it was a decent time. Well, when was 2000? So I don't know. Like, I guess the whole Y2K thing, I, I don't know how it all, I can't really remember. But Anyway, we got, we started billing right away. I remember our first order was from Bell Express View, who aren't even around anymore, but they needed somebody. And luckily I had a recruiter, a delightful young woman, Leslie, who worked for me twice. She's fabulous. And she felt the job. I didn't know how we were going to do it, but she did it. And then we just never looked back from there. Fascinating because I know, you know, I'm <laughs> most of our listeners are not entrepreneurs, some are, they're mostly corporate talent and HR leaders. But I, I'll tell you, a lot of the entrepreneurs in my circle that's been one of the things they've held back on for the longest time, right? It's this thinking you have to do it all on your own. So you're very inspiring. I think it took me about two years before I finally went, Okay, I'm getting myself a virtual assistant. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I did again getting back to the my first boss. I learned that I really am a salesperson at heart and that when it came to filling orders, I wasn't as good at it and it just wasn't my forte. So I thought, okay, well, there's no sense in trying to fight that. Let's just, you know, so I just took a risk. I mean, it was a risk, right? Like hire somebody, I'm going to have to pay them. I did the math and I was like, all right, let's just do it. Jump in with both feet and hope for the best. Well, and it also sounds like you were very clear on what you bring to the table as the main asset in the company, you know, that, that it was about bringing in the work and creating the relationships that clearly have lasted you 22 years, you know, in, in several cases and getting specialists to do the stuff you're selling, you know? Yeah. The fulfilling it, yeah. Like I would go in and get the requirements and then the team would fulfill those requirements. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Yeah. Actually, TD Bank really early on too. That was a big deal earning earning their business and and mm. you know for a small three-person company 
that that was a, a big deal. But the truth is they just needed people and they don't care as long as you've got the insurance and you can, you know, comply with what they need. They just needed people. So that was a great, that was really helpful too, to get us off the ground. Excellent. Okay. And just for listeners, just so you know, so Sandra's referencing a team of three and it's now a team of 10, including you, nine, including you. You're number 10. Okay. So there's 10. All right. Okay. So it's growing quite substantially. So when you think about, you know, if we look at the landscape right now, there's stuff in the news every single day when we still get the paper from when my dad lived with us until he passed. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the headlines, quiet quitting is this thing that's always been around. It's the whole idea of presenteeism, you know, or disengagement, but it seems to really have kicked it up a notch in this environment. You've also got high vacancy rate and and not enough candidates, certainly not enough skilled candidates, people wanting the bums in seats and so on. What are you seeing as challenges? First of all, I got to say the whole like, you know, quiet quitting thing. I think that the media loves to pick up a catchphrase, grab a couple of anecdotes, and all of a sudden they've got a story. And I'm not, you know, I'm skeptical about that kind of reporting. I'd rather look at the numbers. I mean, there's definitely been disruption in the labor market. I didn't see tons of people quitting. So I'm I I'm not so sure about that particular phenomenon that you're referring to, but the challenges we see sure are are are, you know, the labor market's really tight, so filling jobs is challenging, but that never lasts for long and, you know, as interest rates go up and like I don't know, I like I think that the landscape's going to change as we get into 2023 and, you know, unemployment will go. I mean, I was reading Globe too that they're expecting the unemployment rate to go up to six percent, which I think is our sort of our natural unemployment rate in Canada, right. higher than in the States. So it'll probably just sit there and then it just becomes a question of what the economy ends up doing. I mean the IMF called us like one of the that, you know, certainly our financial systems are are strong. And also in terms of our GDP, we're gonna do quite well compared to other folks in That's, terms of yeah. growth. So yeah. I'm not yeah, really I think- that I think that makes a lot of sense. Yes, it's very cyclical in terms of, you know, right now it's hard to find enough people, but that could change, right? The number of vacancies will will come down as people it kind never, of slow. Yeah, it yeah, never, stays, it never stays the same. God only no. knows. No. After 2008, though, I swore I just, I never wanted to go through that again. COVID was different, but 2008 was, it was just a horrible. Really scary. So many people. Yeah. Was I scared? I just, it was just, it's just really hard to keep your chin up. And, you know, uh, keeping my chin up is like one of my best strengths. And so, you know, that was a really, I was really tested. Okay. Well, well, how was, how was COVID different? Cause I know certainly for COVID that really hit me on a, you know, personally and, and my business, cause it wiped out live facilitations, you know, like yeah. my a lot, thousands of <laughs> thousands of dollars in booked revenue right off the bat, right in March when the world shut down. Now, thank God I've had my coaching practices to say, to sustain me. And then the virtual stuff came in. How did it show up in the staffing world? So in March, all of a sudden offices were closed. So that meant, so my business is placing people in offices or it was at that time. So all of a sudden the order flow stopped zero. So we're all looking at each other, you know, 10 of us. Okay. And I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to manage? And then we didn't know how long it would last. But anyway, luckily, a lot of my customers, much to my surprise, 
told people to pack up their laptops and you can work at home. So I was delighted with that. So all of a sudden we had remote workers that I swore I would never place people working at home. I have no control. I can't do it. Nobody else sign off on the hours. I, I never thought it would happen. Anyway, so there was the shock in March. Everybody went home. We stopped getting orders, but we had some amount of business continuing while I had a, a little bit of time to regroup and figure out what we we're going to do. So yes, I laid people off because we, had, we didn't have the orders to fill. So then I, we went down to four of us, which was, you can imagine, right? 10 to four in our office on Bay Street. That was difficult. And the four of us had to, like, we just showed up, did our best to continue to rustle up business and service the business we had. And my delightful sales manager, that doesn't even do her justice, my very smart sales manager, really focused on just keeping the relationships. She said, I'm not expecting any business right now, but I am going to stay on these relationships like white on rice. And sure enough, when things opened up, it came, it just paid back to her in spades. So, well, and it's such an authentic approach to sales. It's, it's, it's not that that slick sort of icky factor here. It's really just saying, Hey, I, you know, I care about these relationships and I'm still here for, I'm still thinking about you, even if you're not in a position to, to need our services, let's, you know, keep things, op- keep the dialogue open. Very, yes, yeah, smart indeed. The other thing about COVID with, you know, which maybe is different from 2008 is that everybody around the world was in exactly the same boat. Well, with some variation, you know what I mean? Like it, yes. we were all, we all had to deal with it. So everybody dealt with it differently, but it wasn't just a problem of a particular segment of the industry. So that made it, you know, a little bit easier to swallow as a pill, but that was still challenging. Yeah, a really interesting time. And now it seems like the world's really opened up a whole lot and we're all kind of hoping we don't have this big uptick in cases and, and new restrictions and so on as the fall hits. And you know, the, our our customers are, it's it's tough for the, cu- the customers who want to bring people back into the office are competing yeah. with people who say, stay at home and everybody wants to stay at home. So if you have an in-office job, all of a sudden you got to pay a little more to get somebody to show up. That's definitely a challenge that employers are going to be facing. And I know they're doing the math too. Should we make it remote or should we make it just and then pay higher? How else can we keep them? How can we attract people? There's very little that can attract people to an office nowadays. Well, and a lot of the the clients that I work with or, or people that I talk with for the podcast, et cetera, you know, they're talking about hybrid seems to be the most popular thing where they're saying people need to come in two days or maybe three, they can pick them or they can't. And then the other days they're at home. It sounds like you're experiencing it's more the, the candidates they want full time at home. Is that right? They do. But of more course, small. that won't stay the same either. But because they're so used to it, if they can hold out for something that's at home, they will. And because the market's still so tight, they're mostly getting what they want. Yes. But, you know, over time, that's going to subside as more people return to the office in a hybrid fashion or whatever fashion. So, yeah, so that's going to have to change. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. So something that you had told me about earlier when we were, we were chatting, preparing for our call was this, the, the fact that there's been this increase in ghosting and I with candidates, and I was hoping you could share a little bit about what that's what mm-hmm. that looks like. Yeah. Now, I, I must say, I am I'm reluctant to hold myself up as as an example because Staffworks is such a like a small company in the big scheme of things. Where I mean, yes. we're not a global firm, but 
We have definitely experienced more ghosting in the past two months than we've experienced in the past two years. And Mm -hmm. it just is what it is. So we now have to build our business around that with a certain expectation that this is going to happen. Even moving quickly is helpful, but it's not even the whole answer. I think just candidates will, they'll just follow the money. They'll follow what they want. And if a conversation's too hard to have or they can't be bothered to have it, it just won't happen. So, you know, you know what I just remembered? It's, it's, it's kind of unrelated, but I remember years ago and I was in charge. I was the one woman training department, recruitment and training, and we would bring in tons of temps, right? For these peak periods and then put them through a six week training. And I remember we had such difficulty initially. and, And I remember this one guy, he just didn't show up the next day. And we, you know, I had somebody follow up with them, follow up with them Had the, and the answer we finally got back after a couple of weeks was too much work for not enough money. I think they just wore him down asking for a response, like what happened and where did you go? Or actually, that was actually true. And, you know, it's for sure. I have heard that before. And and, I mean, the question is, who's who's measure of too much work? Yeah, Yeah, well, and his, his cohort of, you know, 15 other people happily completed the training and went on to do great work and get, you know, it was a growing, it was a really great organization, actually, with a ton of opportunities. But from his perspective, it was like, yeah, this is too much, right? But it's interesting. Yeah, if you if you aspire to grow within the organization, then of course, you're going to show up. Was that RSP season? Was it a busy time? Like no, no, it was it was it was called CIBC Finance. So it was it was a partner company of CIBC. Later on, became Edgelinks and then DNH. Oh, of course. So it was student loan servicing. So oh, call yeah. center and back back office. So that's kind of where I cut my teeth in this area. Yeah, yeah, we I used to place people at BDP became. Oh, BDP was one of our partners. I did training on site there. Yeah. They were one of the companies that got us off the ground way back when one of our first customers. Infrastructure Ontario also was one of the ones that got us off the ground. Interesting. Oh my goodness. So I I may have actually had trainers train some of the people you place there. Who knows? <laughs> if, yeah. the, if, the, if the timing would work. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Okay. Well, let's, let's kind of keep moving around this, this area of of challenge because I just I think this is on people's minds. I know it is. So, you know, we're having trouble with finding enough candidates, skilled candidates in the time that we want. I know time to fill is way up. This what you'd mentioned something about, you know, the the wage pressure that's happening right now with inflation and so on. Mm-hmm. Can you comment on on what's going on with that? Well, there's certainly wage pressure when you have a tight labor market. That you know the supply, the demand is high, supply is low. It's going to push up the price. So then you have a number of unions that are in a position to be negotiating, and then they start to you know set the numbers. Is it going to be two percent, four percent? I think the teachers, you know, you know, they end up bargaining in public, which is really not great. But you hear yeah. that you know I I that they want to get up to you know four and six percent increases and that you know so that ends up they these when these agreements end up, end up getting signed that becomes a precedent and then the other unions want to do that and and it just drives up pressure drives up the wages i mean which unfortunately 
like inflation's going to come down. So then the organizations that sign the contracts are going to have to live with these. So now on the other hand, there have been a lot of wage freezes for the past couple of years. So maybe, you know, there's definitely room for increases. So it's just a question of the the balancing act. You know, we want to be respectful of the employee voice, respectful of where they're living, the city in which they're living and the cost of food, but we don't, we're going to have to live with our decisions for the next number of years or forever. So you have to be careful. Well, it could lead into equity, pay equity issues down the road, right? Long-term with you know, the dreaded red circling and all that kind of good stuff, potentially. Yeah, that's, that's Not, an You just, you know, as, I mean, I, I think companies aren't going to do this, but if you end up hiring a new person at the same or higher than the person who's been there for five years doing the same job, then you're either going to have somebody quitting or you've got to raise the other person. And that just, you know, cuts into margins and or it causes dissent in the ranks. And yeah, you do have to watch for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, when you think about, I, I know it's not always you dealing directly with your clients because you've got mm-hmm. a great team of leaders. And when you look at the HR and talent acquisition leaders that you do partner with as a company, what would you say is the their biggest challenge or opportunity, if you want to look at it that mm-hmm. way right now? Getting buy-in from the the C-suite is, is always a challenge. Always a On challenge. On what specifically? Because- Oh, well, working from home or other programs that it's, I mean, it's a cost center, right? HR is a cost center. They don't bring in any money. So it's harder to make the arguments that the business case, some, I think there are some great forward thinking CEOs who can see the business case. I think that's getting better, but that's always a challenge for HR leaders for sure. But you know what we, you know, what I see in terms of opportunity is we've made some great strides when it comes to inclusion. And, mm. and just, you know, welcoming people as they are into the workplace. And I really hope we don't lose that great, that great progress we've made. And I really hope we continue to push on that because it's, it's just better for the working world. Yes. And I, I love your passion in this particular area, because I imagine you've seen a real shift over, over, you know, the 20 plus years, you know, in terms of that inclusivity be- becoming more you know, more of a, an underpinning in, in terms of hiring and, and retention efforts. What, what are some examples of, of how it shows up in the work that you do with clients? Well, we, we just need people. So we want anybody and everybody. So we do our best to be as inclusive a recruiter as, as is possible. Spread the good word like that, that we are a place that welcomes everyone. And that allows us to put in front of our customers candidates who they might not otherwise, you know, for whatever reasons of, you know, maybe some systemic issues that they might not otherwise look at. So we get to put candidates that are talented, enthusiastic, and and real great contributors in in front of customers that they may not otherwise see. So it's exciting and, and, and really gives them the opportunity to make some good hiring decisions. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really a way to broaden the pool and get better performers ultimately, right? Get, find the, find the best, the best talent versus being limited to sort of a status quo, you know, maybe a bias ridden pool, if you will. So, you know, something you had commented on when we were chatting earlier was how, how delighted you were really with the fact that universal childcare is coming into play. Mm -hmm. Why do you see that as so important? You know, when I am, Delighted. I, I mean, it took long enough to be honest with you, but I'm delighted yeah. to see that it's now part of my 
children's working landscape because, you know, I, even from being at McGill, I remember thinking it will never be a level playing field between men and women until we have universal childcare. So now, I mean, it's not exactly universal. It's not perfect. But I mean, Quebec said they sort of kicked it off a number of years ago when they had super cheap daycare. And you could see that the participation rate in the labor force by women went up. I mean, it's just it's a no brainer. And, you know, for women to really succeed, they need to be able to have reliable, affordable childcare. So that was just one of my little pet things I'm delighted to see happen. And I tell you, I my nose to vote for Justin Trudeau, but I, because of that. Right, right. Well, and it, it is fascinating because, you know, it does relate directly to the the availability of excellent labor, right? Like the, the choice, right? And having an increased talent pool, right? If we're, if we're penalizing, you know, a good chunk of half the population who can't participate in the workforce, then yeah, it, it's to everyone's detriment. So I think it's right. a really great point. And it's the same with working from home. I mean, if we can, you know, institutionalize this along with affordable childcare, because working from home is obviously not a substitute for childcare. Those are two very separate and important items. Anyway, if you get those things covered, then it really does help women. Yes. And by extension, you know, the men in the workforce too, right? Who are, who who need that that talent to buoy up and create, you know, top performing organizations. So, okay. So we're we're nearing the end of our of our conversation already. It goes so quickly every single time. So my final question, you know, I'm curious around you you're quite passionate about how to build buy-in. What are some best practices? What what's your philosophy around that when you're working with clients or with your team? Well, I think well, to get buy-in with the team, it's certainly my my enthusiasm and excitement around ideas usually gets, at least it gets people's attention at the beginning, but that's not enough. And really, I've found that you can't just like show up one day and and expect you're going to get buy-in. It's something that develops over time because you, you've taken the, the steps and put in really the heavy lifting to create relationships and trust. If you've got trust, then buy-in is much easier to get because it becomes a two-way street and, and people trust you. But, you know, as you can imagine with it, like at any new leader joins an organization, the first thing they have to do is build trust before they start changing all this kind of stuff. So I, and then, you know, with that trust, I'm able to take the time to talk about the long view. And I find that with my team, with my, you know, because I'm enthusiastic about it and I can talk about the long view, that's how I get people to to sort of to buy in. And I take their questions. If people are mm-hmm. skeptical. Let's talk about it. Let's hash it out. And I, you know what? I've learned some great things from my employees. I'm sure I've dodged a few bullets because of some of the advice I've taken from my own employees. Mm, and you were open to it. So I think that's important to acknowledge. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that, that piece of wisdom. So we we are at the end. I just I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing a little bit about you. Where can where can people find you and Staffworks? Oh, Staffworks, we can you can find our website anytime, staffworkscanada.com or staffworks.ca. Lots of contact info on there. You can find me on LinkedIn. Absolutely happy to respond and help anybody who might be looking for it. Fantastic. Thank you, Sandra. Really great to have this conversation with you. Yes, and you too. Thank you very much, Lisa.
Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your colleagues. Better yet, head over to iTunes and let us know. When you subscribe and leave me a five-star review, not only do I glow from within, but more people will learn about the show and why they should listen. Until next time, keep telling the talent management truth.